Hello and welcome to the latest edition of the FT Advisor podcast. I'm Damien Fantato, Deputy Editor of FT Advisor. It has been a turbulent week for markets, to say the least. Last Friday, Chancellor Kwasi Kwarteng announced a mini-budget which included a raft of tax cuts that will be funded by borrowing. Markets reacted quickly, with the pound subsequently falling to historic lows against the dollar and yields on UK government bonds soaring, though this has reversed somewhat after the Bank of England intervened earlier this week. The mini-budget was introduced amid a backdrop of a huge shift in financial markets. Pent-up demand and supply chain issues caused by the pandemic lockdowns have contributed to inflation soaring above the Bank of England's 2% target. Central banks have begun to hike interest rates in an attempt to subdue the steep climb in, in prices. This trend, seen globally to varying degrees, may be changing the way investors should look at their portfolios. Here with us to discuss this are Oliver Jones, Assets Allocation Strategist at Rathbones, and Robert White, Portfolio Manager at Momentum Global Investors. Hello both. Hello. Hello there. So, we'll start with a, a fairly broad brush um, a question, I guess. Um, Rob, what, what implications do you feel that the Friday's uh, budget and the, the reactions from it will have had on uh, uh, asset allocations? I think um, the mo- well, first, firstly, the most remarkable thing about the budget has been the market reaction. I mean, if you just look at the 30-year gilt yields, for, ex- for example, and, and the moves we've seen in absolute terms over the last three days, first up and then down with the Bank of England uh, uh, intervention, there have been the three largest daily moves on record. Um, including that whopping kind of 100-plus basis point decline uh, on well, yesterday. Um, so, I mean, almost aside from the, what was actually released in the budget, these market moves have implications. Uh, you know, we've seen in the, in the DB market um, in terms of how, well, the, the issues that, that have caused the, the Bank of England to kind of step in there to prevent um, issues with uh, a lot of UK pension funds. But also in the cost of borrowing as well, and, and UK is obviously um, dependent on the kindness of strangers, so to speak. There, so it, there's p- quite profound implications, I think, just in terms of the market movement to to uh, to investors and their allocation to UK equities. I mean, if you look at, at the actual kind of content of the budget, um, there are some positive uh, elements to it. You know, a lot of the, for example, the the deregulation in terms of building wind farms, for example, and and, and helping on that kind of supply side. You know, that could have positive positive implications over you know the medium term, but the fact that these these tax cuts have been unfunded and really the 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 way in which that they were kind of introduced you know without having an independent obr forecast you know that that impact and that market impact could be the the thing that's that's, that's dominating um uh, investor portfolios at the moment mm. well, the key bit of context, something you mentioned right at the start, is just the, the inflation backdrop in the UK. We know inflation's too high. We know it's too high, uh, not just because of energy prices, but because there's a domestic inflationary problem as well. We saw in the latest inflation figures, uh, core inflation rising to 6.3%, wages still rising at more than 5% a year. Um, some really worrying data showing households' inflation expectations ticking up as well. Um, so even before... Uh, any of this, really, there was plenty of reason um, to be concerned about the inflation outlook, about how aggressive the, the Bank of England would need to be. Um, and of course, the, the mini budget's not the only piece of fiscal news that we've had, the decision to freeze energy bills as well, um, potentially uh, enormously expensive, a very big loosening of fiscal policy, perhaps worth 4% of GDP in the first year. Um, but we simply don't know how much that will cost because, of course, it depends on international gas prices. Mm-hmm. Some of the uh, coverage that we've seen uh, since since Friday has sort of 
been uh, there's been some dramatic reaction to it. Some, for example, there was some commentary that was saying that the UK is now behaving like an emerging market, or you know, some of the stuff. Do you think is that um, would you subscribe to some of that, um, Rob, or is that um, a bit over the top? It's a great headline, and there are similarities in terms of the dual deficits the UK is running and. The more kind of populist policy, um, I suppose, since Brexit, uh, depending on how you view that politically. But, you know, you must remember the UK's got strong, independent financial institutions. I mean, most obviously with the Bank of England, which has displayed its power, um, you know, stepping into markets yesterday. Um, Our average term of debt is pretty long as well. I think it's about 16 years, which is longer than any other OECD currency. Uh, Most of our liabilities as well are in our own currency. So it's not like we're having a Venezuela-type moment or anything like that. And, And there is a tendency to... To kind of um, to move with the herd and, and get caught up in all this panic and and actually if you do take a longer term view, um, you can see some pretty attractive opportunities opening up in the UK equity market, which looks kind of screamingly cheap now. And of course there are um, there are some 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 positives over a cheap currency. But but the key thing is to kind of steady the ship. Um, I think uh, more details needed from the Chancellor and the government in terms of uh, what they're going to do going forward in terms of. Um, in terms of the budget and, and how they're going to fund this uh, this tax cut, uh, but again, if you take a kind of medium to longer term view, I think there's there's reasons to be optimistic. Oliver, I think as Rob said, some of those uh, headlines are perhaps a little bit hyperbolic. Um, talking about emerging market, you can you can see why it's being said, seeing sterling weakening and gilt selling off at the same time. But yeah, key things to remember: the UK's uh, the UK borrows in its own currency. It's got a long um, debt maturity profile and yeah, lots of attractive longer-term features. Mm-hmm. So do you think that um, investors and people who are building their own portfolios should be making any uh, changes to their portfolios as a result of, of, of the past, of the events of the last week or so, Rob? Uh, so I think it's a good time to kind of step back and assess your long-term goals. You know, typically periods of kind of short-term market volatility shouldn't be triggering changes in your you know, long-term um, your long-term outcomes effectively as an investor. I mean, it's a good time to visit those because, I mean, we've had an environment, don't forget, in, in, in uh, 2020 and 2021, we've had exceptional returns in equity markets. And I think there is a there has been a tendency to kind of just extrapolate those into the future, which, of course, doesn't, doesn't happen. You know, you can get high single-digit returns from equity markets over the long term, but, of course, everyone knows that's not a linear journey. So it's probably a good time to revisit some assumptions about what people expect from from, uh, from from their portfolios. The other key point to mention is that there is this, uh, having said what I've said, there is a tendency for some investors to have this home bias to their own country and their own um, investing in their own companies. Um, and, you know, that makes sense. You know, people like to invest in the, say, the BPs and Shells of the world or the HSBCs if they're, lo- they're locally listed. Um, but this is a kind of reminder that the UK is only about 2% of global GDP uh, and if you want a diversified portfolio, you do need to have a significant amount of, of assets outside of, of the UK. And, and, and really, I mean, that's, that's what we try to do at Momentum is really harness that global diversification. And of course, if you're invested in, in UK assets, you have sterling exposure. And um, that can be a positive or, or a negative, depending on where you're invested, obviously. But it, it's it's part of the overall diversification picture to, to kind of expand outside of UK markets and, and outside of the UK currency. Mm-hmm. Oh, no. From our point of view, I think this has reinforced some of the themes we've already been thinking about in our portfolios this year. So we were already concerned, I think, about how long inflation might 
linger for, how long it might stick around for. Um, we were already carrying uh, fewer conventional government bonds, fewer gilts in our portfolios. Um, and just what we've seen over the past week, I think, um, validates that. And that would be something something I'd persist with. Um, more generally, we're positioned defensively. You know, it's not, it's not just the UK where there are economic problems at the moment. Um, the Eurozone probably is on the cusp of recession. We've got a housing downturn in China. Um, we know the US economy has been relatively resilient, but we're starting to see some fault lines there as well. So just from a very broad perspective, we're, we're positioned quite defensively. Again, I think this reinforces that. Um, but just on the UK, specifically UK equities, um, it's worth saying that the, the largest UK companies, we've, we've always emphasised, they're not particularly dependent on what's happening in the UK economy specifically. They earn most of their revenues overseas in currencies other than sterling. Um, many of them are in fairly defensive sectors, sectors that hold up well, even when the global economy is not doing too well. Um, so we still see some appeal in that UK large cap space, particularly. Mm -hmm. And uh, I've mentioned the issue of home bias just now, and this is something that has been a, a point of contention, I suppose. Do you feel that um, this is, you know, uh, an, an, another nail in the coffin towards, you know, home bias, which I think has been shrinking progressively over the, over the past few years? That's something we've been thinking about an awful lot ourselves. Um, we've been avoiding, in particular, smaller UK companies just because of the the macro uncertainty over the UK. You know, stemming from this budget, but predating it as well because of the effects of the um, the energy price shock that we've seen earlier in the year. Um, there are some slightly worrying longer term trends in the UK economy as well. Slow growth in the labour force that we've seen. Um, sluggish investment since Brexit as well. Um, so yeah, we're certainly um, focused on that international diversification. Yeah, I mean, just to kind of, I suppose, stick up for UK small caps a little bit. I think um, certainly what we're seeing is, as I mentioned, you know, the valuation opportunities is, is is certainly there. I mean, lots of things kind of moving against UK equities at the moment, and valuation on its own is, is never usually a, a time to jump in. But I mean, um, I think if we see a period of, of weakening a weakening dollar, um, that could be a, a trigger. But of course, that depends on 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 um, on what happens to, uh, to to inflation, of course, and the interest rate differential, but um, but I mean, for example, I think the and partly as a result of the strong, strong dollar against the, the against sterling and, and, and the cheapness on offer. I mean, we've seen some some uh, we've seen some M and A activity in, in in UK small caps and some interest from um, US private equity and and and, uh, and from the US market. Um, just seeing some great opportunities in in, in our market, and, and again, that could be a catalyst to, to some outperformance. Um, but again, in, in in the right now, given some of the headwinds that uh, I mentioned, it's um, it, it's it uh, could be a volatile time in the short sure. term. We've been focusing uh, on on UK equities because and UK, the UK market generally because it's been obviously a, an, an eventful week uh, for that market. But if we zoom out um, a little bit. Um, We've just, we touched a little bit on a little earlier on, on some of the, the challenges that the wider global economy faces. And Oliver, what, which parts of the of equity markets do you think are, are best positioned uh, at the moment to uh, to weather uh, some of the challenges that, are, are, that it's facing? So, from our point of view, well, we start by looking at the global economy in the round. Really, um, Europe's being hit by this energy shock, unprecedented or not quite unprecedented, but probably the largest energy shock since the. 1970s. The UK 
in response to that is probably already in recession. There's a good chance that the eurozone economy is as well. Um, in China, we're seeing real signs of weakness. I think were it not for all that's been going on in the West, we will be hearing a lot more about uh, the the scale of the housing downturn in China. It's the deepest in in decades of data. Um, the government earlier this year abandoned its its growth target, which is usually a sign there's not a uh, big stimulus on the way. It's not um, planning to prime the pumps like it did in 2009 or 2016, for example. Um, so the last the last major block left is the US, really. Um, I don't think the outlook is, is rosy from a macro point of view in the US at all. In fact, uh, recession is probably more likely than not, but it's still better positioned than uh, both Europe and China, um, given that resilience to the energy shock that's, that Europe's facing, the strong consumer balance sheets in the US as well. Mm. But the US is a very growth-heavy market, uh, and we obviously with high inflation, high interest rates, that's not necessarily a part of an environment that people might necessarily associate with going sort of headfirst into a market which is very growth heavy. So within the US specifically, we're certainly keeping a very close eye on that. We've been trying to um, reduce any uh, you know overweight positions we have to the most growthy parts of markets, um, you know, places where valuations really stick out. From the start of the year, we've been uh, really wary about uh, unprofitable tech in particular um, for, for the exact reasons you mentioned, really, because they're so susceptible to interest rate risk. So we're thinking about the US as a, as a geography, but trying to think about um, defensive sectors and also parts of markets which are, uh, you know, have limited exposure to interest rate risk. Yeah, I think that last point in terms of looking at defensive sectors is, is obviously a, an important important thing to look at going into you know this sort of downturn. Given what's happening in rates, you don't want to be in with companies that are, that are too highly leveraged, um, and you want to try and find those companies obviously that can can pass on costs. And I, I guess you're, you're talking about that kind of quality factor if you're talking about equity equity factors or kind of quality value is an interesting place to be because of course value's been been going through this 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 period out of outperformance um, from kind of. A decade of, of, of being unloved so i think there's more to kind of come in that value rally but but again i think avoiding the more beaten up areas and, and the highly leveraged areas of the markets is important and and i think if you i think taking a step back as well or, or looking more more um in terms of regions um again, we've obviously inflation is is what's what's causing so much panic and has, has caused all the uh, the sell-off in, in bonds and equity markets really you know looking year to date um if you look to Asia and to, to, to the East, you're, that's much less of a problem. Um, you know, Japan, you're seeing inflation rise. I think it's about three percent at the moment, but historically, it's been a it's been a lower inflation um, country. Obviously, battled with de- deflation and, and kind of decades of lost growth. Um, and and what's going on in China? Uh, you know, I agree. You know, what's what's happening in the real estate market is 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 pretty seismic. Um, you just have to look at the, the, what's going on in, in the bond markets in particular. And, you know, Evergrande debt is, is not looking particularly healthy at the moment, trading, I think it's six or seven cents or something. Um, but, uh, but you know, in, a, in an environment where, where inflation is, is, is the main problem, um, I think somewhere, somewhere like Japan looks interesting. Uh, just if you look at the, the reforms that, that, that have happened under Arbonomics, uh, you know, it's, it's very sad that he, in the manner in which he, he passed away. But um, a lot of that, that culture is kind of we think is is, is kind of come through, and you, you see that through the ROE numbers, and you see that through things like um, decreasing cross cross shareholdings and increasing foreign ownership, and 
again, looking through short-term volatility to, to more towards the medium term, I think that there's exciting opportunities in Asia. Mm-hmm. And having discussed equities a little bit, um, I suppose that leads us to discussing the issue of bonds. I mean, bo- and bonds haven't been a, normally a, a considered something of a dampener on, on volatility, but I think it's fair to say they haven't really been uh, doing what it says on the tin, uh, at least for this year. And um, there's a, sometimes a bit of debate about, uh, particularly at the moment, around bonds and the use of alternatives as well. Um, there are all sorts of different alternatives that people are looking at, some market neutral for uns or you know, um, music royalties, um, all these sorts of things, as well as the usual property and infrastructure things. What's, what's, where do you stand on, on, on that um, sort of debate at the moment? Yes, we're big believers in, in alternatives, you know, however, however you bucket them. Um, and I think that's that's borne out generally uh, this year. And again, if you think that a lot of these fact, a lot of what's driving these movements in bond prices is, is probably going to be with us, uh, you know, for the foreseeable future. I know it's very difficult to make, you know, multi-year uh, projections and so forth. But but it seems like we're inter- entering into a higher inflation environment, and coming from an area where bonds have been you know negative yields not not that long ago in Europe. So it's it's a seismic shift, and I think the case for holding alternatives over the long term is is pretty pretty sound. Uh, for us, of course, that means again property and, and infrastructure, and there's there's great options in the UK investment trust market in in, in that respect. Uh, but I mean, hedge funds are an interesting area um, that I think you know the the whole industry has gone through a lot of change uh, over the you know the, of course hedge funds have performed pretty poorly over the last decade or so in, in post GFC. You know you've had um, low volatility, you know lots of QE, um, and but again that, that all seems to be kind of unwinding. Um, and again, in higher volatility environments, uh, like trend managers, for example, can do very well, or options managers that that, that trade volatility. Uh, you know, higher higher volatility with stocks and higher dispersion should create these sorts of opportunities. And some of the more um, egregious elements, of kind of of hedge fund uh, management, have, have have lessened over the years. You know, fees have generally come down. You know, a lot of them are available in kind of liquid. Um, usage form uh, liquid liquid usage structures at the moment. So again, that that could look pretty interesting. But it's you know you know it's it's obviously a it's it's a it's a difficult area for for particularly retail investors to look at. You, you know you need to be you need to have the the expertise and and to, to to look into these things and really understand the strategies. Um, and that is a barrier, and that is that's still a negative. Um, but but uh, I think again they they play a, 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 a an important role in our portfolios and I think it's something that we'll be looking at more going forward. Sure. What about you, Oliver? Where do you stand on this? It's it's been similar for us really. I think where well, you mentioned at the start uh, back in the question the idea that government bonds aren't providing the same buffer that they did in a portfolio. Um, so we've been adding to other things instead through this year. So one is is very simply just cash, um, and another is alternatives, things like those um, actively managed strategies. We think trend followers are really interesting at the moment um, in a world where bonds and equities can sell off together more frequently, which I I think we'll see more of in the years to come. You know, it's a a feature of high inflation environments. Um, They've got the flexibility to, you know, be be in areas which can do well, even when the the mainstays of our portfolios might be having a tough time. of course, they're usually quite volatile. There's significant drawdown risk associated with them. They'd never be a really large part of our portfolios, but they're looking more interesting than than they did in the past, definitely. Mm-hmm. 
interesting. Well, um, it seems a little bit uh, repetitive to say it, but it seems like for the past couple of years, we've constantly been living through interesting times uh, as far as <laughs> <laughs> investing uh, uh, has, um, has concerned. Uh, it's a great moderation, seems a long time ago. Um, but uh, thank you very much uh, to Rob and Oliver for your time and insight today. And thank you very much to you for listening. And uh, tune in again uh, next week for the next edition of the FT Advisor podcast. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.